following message is by a guest speaker at Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. My name is Paul again. I'm part of the um, occasional preaching rotation here. I've been just uh, sitting in 2 Timothy chapter 2 for a little bit, and I just wanted to share with you uh, today. So um, let's, uh, let's read the passage here. The passage comes from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And Paul is talking to Timothy. Paul is at the end of his life, and he is in prison and in chains, and he wants to impart some life wisdom to this young uh, timid, not very healthy pastor called Timothy. And so this is what he has to say, uh, starting with verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray before we uh, get into the message. Our Heavenly Father, um, you are our Father. And any good parent will want their children to grow up a certain way. And when that child strays, you will correct them. And you have many tools in your hands to do that, one of which is suffering and struggles and, and hardships. And so as we listen and give you the worship of our listening, we pray that you would speak into our lives, bring situations from our lives and our present experiences that match your word, and that you would um, just call us again to this great uh, task of spreading your gospel, of being your chosen instruments to illuminate this world. Um, in the many ways and the, and the mirrored gifts that the church has. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right, so Paul, at the end of his life, he is the aged apostle. He's written, I don't know, the majority of the New Testament. You know, he's, he's always got the churches on his mind. He was the first great missionary um, to, to, the, to the world, the known world at that time. So this is the apostle Paul, okay? Again, he's at the end of his life. Uh, he's in chains because of, he just won't shut up about the gospel. And he's speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, who, who as I said before, is young. He's timid. Um, he's not a go-getter. He's, uh, he, he might shy away if, if something really difficult happened in his life. Okay? And Paul's message to Timothy is, Timothy, embrace suffering for the gospel. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Don't Stop along the course of preaching the gospel just because something's hard gets in your way. Okay, so that's that's I think I feel like that's one of the main things that Paul is, has to say to Timothy. Um, so Paul, he's a veteran, okay, um, protector and herald of the gospel. You know, he's um, but he faced enormous suffering at at his conversion. If you guys remember in the book of Acts, um, you know Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was a real zealous guy. 
you know, and, and he was a Jew, and he didn't like Christians, and he just persecuted. He chased them around. He got letters from, from the, the teachers and the authorities that be to, to really persecute Christians, and then God met him. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And one of the things he said to Ananias, this other brother who was supposed to pray for Paul's side to come back, he said, I want to show Paul how much he will suffer for my name as he carries the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, I think I might have touched on this the last time we spoke. Uh, I'm not going to read the passage, but I'm just going to kind of summarize what it says. It recounts Paul's sufferings in the course of spreading the gospel. And so he, he was subject to, to many labors. He was imprisoned. He was beaten countless times. He was often near death, okay? Five times he was whipped, uh, the, the 40 lashes minus one. So the Jews had a system where, um, according to the Mosaic law, you know, 40 was the limit when you, when you punish somebody. So they subtracted one just in case they miscounted because they didn't want to break God's law. So five times, that's 195 lashes, about two-thirds of them to the back and a third of them to the chest, okay? So five times. Three times he was beaten with rods, Okay? Once he was stoned, you know, in the, in the literal sense. Like, they took stones, they hurled at him until they thought he was dead, and then at the end he got up and walked away. Okay? Um, three times he was shipwrecked. There was a day, 24 hours, one of those shipwrecks, he was actually floating out in the sea, just probably holding on to something, waiting for rescue. Um, in danger from journeys and rivers and wilderness. He was in danger from robbers, fellow Jews, Gentiles, okay, false brothers that wanted to attack him, physically exhausted. He was hungry and thirsty and without food and cold and exposure. This guy, he must have had, and we're going to get into it, this glorious picture of the gospel that none of these sufferings would quell, okay? And so he endured all the, on top of all of this, he had the daily pressure and anxiety. He was worried about all the churches. Is that church I planted over here, is it going to last? You know, I installed some elders over there. You know, I got to pray for them, you know. And so he was concerned about the early, early stages of the church. As I think about his sufferings, I would venture to say that Paul was probably in some form permanently crippled or disfigured in some way because you don't get beat up the way he gets beat up and look pretty afterwards, okay? So, um... It was known that Paul had poor eyesight. Okay, so you read, you read the epistles and he'll often say, you know, he writes really big at the end of the letter saying, I'm writing with my own hand. There was one time he was uh, in front of the Sanhedrin and uh, he was talking smack about the high priest and he's like, don't you know the high priest is here? And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see him. You know, so, I mean, these are clues that give us a, a hint that maybe his eyesight was very poor. And I think getting hit on the head with a couple rocks will do that to you. Okay, so... Um, he, was, he had poor eyesight. Okay? And then also, a lot of his letters were dictated through uh, other people. So he would, he would tell uh, the person, the scribe would write it down. The book of Romans, we know Tertius was a guy that helped him out to do that. Um, so maybe he was crippled in the hands. Maybe his hand got messed up and mangled. For some reason, he wasn't able to write clearly. Okay? Um, you know, he was perhaps deformed in appearance. You know, maybe he had a permanent crouch. I, I don't know. He just, I, I think if he stood in front of us, he, would, he wouldn't look, come off as this impressive guy. You know, we all know Paul. He's done great things for the church. I think he would look like a broken, physically stooped over, like maybe holding his hand like this guy, you know, because of the things he went through. Uh, in his closing words to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6, uh, Paul says, Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. 
So marks of Christ are his scars. They are his uh, beatings. They are all the permanent physical damage he's taken uh, from, from spreading the gospel in the face of much opposition. Okay? If I went through one session of being whipped 39 times, okay, <laughs> I, I, I just might say, you know what? Someone else can bring the gospel to these ungrateful people. I'm, I'm done. Okay? If, if they're going to whip me, I, I, you know, maybe it's not my calling. You know, I might have second thoughts. Okay? Um, so it's this Paul, this Paul that endured these beatings and sufferings uh, for the gospel um, that is talking to Timothy. So you've got to know who's giving you these words. Okay? Someone with no experience is give, giving you some advice. You'll be like, okay. Know, someone with seasoned, it's been <laughs> beat up for the gospel and is still trucking along, even though he's in chains, I think we should, we should take a listen. So he says to Timothy, Timothy, embrace suffering. Okay? Don't avoid it. Don't run from it. If it comes in the course of spreading the gospel, which is your charge, you know, accept it when it comes. Don't, don't run or hide or quit from the first few shipwrecks or lashings. Okay? What gave Paul the strength to persist in declaring the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Like, what kept this guy going? You know, what was his gospel that was so different than maybe some of ours uh, that makes us you know, want to give up? Okay? Paul could have quit at any time. You know, he could have just retired. He could have been like, well, you know, I brought the gospel to like three continents. I think we're good. You know? I mean, that, that's good. I wrote most of the New Testament. You know, what, what can you do? And maybe if a friend of ours was suffering you know, the way Paul was suffering, we might be very uncomfortable with that. We might say to him, you know, just dial it back a little bit, Paul. Just don't be so radical, you know. When, when you're in a town that you know is hostile, don't be speaking the gospel, you know. Like, find a place where some people that like you will come, okay. You know, it's not your fight alone. God has other people he can use, right. It's not just your job. You know, you've done enough. There's no need to go so far. And that might be some of the advice that we would give uh, if Paul was, was our friend or contemporary, okay. So Paul's in prison. He's, he's chained, okay? Uh, and, and Paul, his mentality is quite different than ours, okay? If at the end of his life he's, he's chained, most, most of us think that's a failure. But he says, hey man, I may be in chains, but the word of God is free, is not bound, is still doing its work. And that's his mentality, okay? So the gospel is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Therefore, we can embrace hardships along the way. If we know that this message that we carry has no means of being stopped, no means of being resisted, it will do its work, then even though we may be chained up, we have confidence that, that this work that we're doing is worth it. It's going to have its effect, right? The enemy may be able to restrict the messenger, but they will never stop the message, okay? There have been communist regimes that have tried to shut down Christians in, in, in society, okay? There other religions that seek to physically destroy Christians in the church uh, by killing them, by, you know, making life, life miserable for them. Bibles have been burned throughout history, okay? Christians and churches destroyed and persecuted, but the gospel has never been stopped. Never. There has been no, nothing that's come up that has stopped or even slowed down the advance of the gospel, okay? Even in the most hostile places in the Middle East to the word of God, the Holy Spirit, they've done, you know, maybe it's, it's a lot harder for Christians really there to declare God's word. The Holy Spirit is coming in dreams to people. 
to say, I am Jesus and I'm real and you are mine. And people are being converted by these dreams. This this gospel cannot be stopped. I think Paul was able to endure all this suffering because he knew that in the end, that which he was working so hard for would prevail. If you know that at the end of this battle or this war or this sports season or whatever you, you know, cycle or season or whatever it is that you guys are engaged in, you know that you're going to win, um, even though you may have setbacks in this life, that gives you confidence that I may be down, but that which I'm living for is going is to arise victorious. God will have his way. Okay? In Isaiah chapter uh, 55, um, Verses 10 through 11. I'll just read that for us. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God is saying, I never speak and, and say something and it, it, and it never, and it for some reason doesn't happen. It always happens. Before my word returns to me, it accomplished the work for which I sent it. If he's sending us out, you and me, if he's sending us out with the gospel, it, it will happen, okay? Um, so Paul's hope was in the power of the gospel to go forth and accomplish its work even if, even if he got stopped, all right? So, what exactly is this gospel that he endured so much for, um, that he suffered so much for? Okay, verse 8 in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is a summary of the gospel. It basically says, remember Jesus Christ, okay? Risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David. So, so remember Jesus. Like, don't let him be far from your mind. Continue to think about him. Be obsessed with him a little bit, okay? Let him be the thing that's on your mind. Not just, oh, you know, it's Sunday, I, I got to remember Jesus, but always remember Jesus, right? And why, why these two things? Why risen from the dead and why offspring of David? Okay, what, I mean, when he's summarizing the gospel, why does he say these two things, okay? So let's look at risen from the dead. What, what, what might that mean? It basically means Jesus conquered death. Okay, he raised from the dead, conquered death. He's alive forever. Okay? So we, if you, if you are in Christ uh, and have committed your life to him, we serve a master who's conquered death. Now, I don't know anyone else that doesn't fear death, but I think it's the basic human fear of dying, death and dying, right? Um, but Jesus has conquered that, right? Death is not an obstacle for him, all right? He's a present reality. It also means that Jesus has no limits. Okay? Whatever he wants to do, he will do. Okay? If he doesn't want to be dead, he's, he's not going to be dead. All right? He's just going to get up and continue to do what he, what he, what he wants to do. He's powerful. Okay? He's conquered death. Death is not a limiting factor. Therefore, he can overcome anything. Jesus is alive and risen and can overcome anything. That's the God we serve. Okay? Um, it does not mean, however, okay, it's a little parenthetical statement here, that he's our cosmic genie, all right? He's very powerful, can do a lot of things, but it doesn't mean he's always going to take away the suffering in our lives or the trouble in our lives. Because I said, 
he's a, he's a cosmic dad, all right? And he, he has lessons to teach us through what we experience in life. Um, so when Paul's, okay, imagine Paul, okay, so how does this strengthen Paul? Okay, how does the fact that Jesus is risen strengthen Paul? Um, you know, maybe Paul's being whipped, or he's getting prepped for being whipped, you know, the third or fourth time, and he's like, okay, um, Jesus overcame death, okay? I, I too will overcome this. I'm not excited to go through this, but I can overcome, okay? If I live through this experience, I'm going to keep telling people about Jesus. That's what got me here in the first place. Um, if I die, I just get to be with him. You know, that, was, that was his perspective. You know, it's a win-win for Paul, right? Because my life is in his hands. Now, what might this mean for us? The fact that Jesus is risen, okay? Um, it means we can trust him. When he says, um, I will be with you forever, I will walk with you during the darkest times of your life, um, what I have started in you, I will finish. You know, a lot of us feel like, um, man, I, I just look at my heart. I don't know what, what, why I messed it all up, you know. And, and when he says, I'm going to finish in you what I've completed, we can trust Jesus to deliver on his promises. He has nothing that's going to stop him from accomplishing what he wants to in our lives. Okay? That's, what, that's what remembering Jesus and... Um, remembering that he's risen from the grave, uh, can, meant for Paul and can mean for us, okay? So we must continually remember that Jesus, risen from the dead, powerful, limitless, able to do anything. His promises are sure, okay? Um, the second thing that Paul instructs Timothy to remember about Jesus is that he's the offspring of David, okay, offspring of David. Now, what does that mean? Um, Every Jew at that time would have understood that this title, the op, being the offspring of David or of the line of David, was a messianic title, a okay, messianic title. It meant that, um, okay, the, the Messiah was the promised person in the Old Testament. There was prophecies about him. He's going to restore Israel to his former glory days and make everything right. His rule would be perfect, you know, no more subjugation, no more bad stuff, and the Jews were living in hope, waiting, 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 waiting for this Messiah to deliver them from Babylonian rule, from being oppressed by the Romans, okay? And King David's, uh, when King David was the ruler of Israel, uh, that was like the start of the golden age for Israel, okay? Like, enemies were being conquered left and right, okay? Israel expanded its borders. Its influence was greater than at any time in its history, okay? They were the nation, all right, at the time. But because of God, not because of them, but they let that get to their heads. That's another sermon. Um, so it, it, was, it was a time, King David's rule, he was a foreshadowing of Christ and his eternal rule. And so when it says that he's the offspring of David, it means that uh, the Messiah was the promised king. He would establish his rule forever. Okay? So let's, let's actually look at one of the um, prophecies about the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, let's look at it together. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on, upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay? 
So when the Jews were uh, in their history, they were unfaithful to God. God allowed them to be uh, exiled to Babylon, uh, one of their enemies. Or, you know, there was a period of time, right around the time of Jesus, where God allowed the, the, the nation of Israel to be occupied under the Romans. Their hope as a people was that the Messiah would come and restore Israel to its former glory. Remember those days when David was king? Solomon was like, everyone was coming to see Solomon. Those are the days that the Messiah is going to bring back for us. That was their hope. And so this title is ascribed to Jesus. So Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, when difficulty comes, remember the gospel, remember Jesus, and remember that he is the Messiah. And, and what does that mean? So, so let's say Paul was being chased, okay, uh, like an, on an occasion, uh, some of the Jews from a different town came to stir up some people in the town against Paul as he was speaking there. And uh, th- that's when he got stoned. And, you know, m- maybe during this time, uh, <laughs> the crowd's getting kind of hostile, and Paul's thinking to himself, man, it's going to go down. And it's like, although this horrible injustice is, do- is being done right here, I- I'm-, I'm speaking to them the good news, the words they need to hear to be alive forever and ever. I'm doing a good thing here, but they want to kill me, okay? And this is happening to me, but I'm remembering Jesus, okay? His rule is, per- is going to be perfect and without end. And I am his servant. And that gave him strength, okay, to endure this mob, okay? <laughs> I'm just picturing you guys being all mad at me right now. and just, you know, it's not pleasant, okay? So this is another thing he took, looked to, to draw strength for himself in his life. So when we remember Jesus... Jesus, powerful and free, with a perfect kingdom that will know no end. We can have hope in any kind of hardship that we face. And I know that that might not be your go-to, okay, when, when life is down on you. Okay? You might not be like, yeah, Messiah, that strengthens me, that blesses me. But for Paul, who endured all these things for the sake of the gospel, it was his go-to. Okay? Um, it just means that Jesus is powerful. We can't, we, you know, He's powerful, he can, he's able, he's going to rule in perfection forever and ever. That's who I'm serving. I'm going to keep going on. I don't want to fail this Jesus, and he's going to strengthen me, okay? Um, the world will not be imperfect forever, okay? We'd have no hope. Okay, let's say, let's say Jesus wasn't the Messiah. He was only going to reign temporarily. What would we do? All the labors that we did for the gospel, all the times we endured bad-mouthing from our family and friends for, for being a Christian, what would that amount to? It would be worth nothing. We would have no solid hope that Jesus would be victorious, that he would, his reign would be forever. Okay? It would under, undermine my confidence that I'm, I'm on the right team. Okay? So, so that was the gospel that, that uh, Paul urged Timothy to remember. Remember Jesus. Remember him risen from the grave. Remember that he's the Messiah perfect, ruling forever. Okay? Remember those things, Timothy, and then accept the suffering that comes along the way. Um, many of us, now bringing it back to sort of our world, many of us end up living out a partial, deluded, or twisted gospel. Okay? If you're not getting quite the life and the results of, of what Paul's talking about here, it's possible that we are very selective about what parts of the gospel um, that we like. Okay? So, um, and, you know, we might leave out parts of the gospel because we're afraid, you know, that whole thing about make disciples and talk to people about Jesus. We might be scared that people are going to look at us funny. 
or you know whatever you might, we might get made fun of. Um, we might run into hardships uh, if we're open about it at work. We're thinking, ah, I don't know, you know, um, maybe I won't get promoted or whatever. And and sometimes we're just selfish. You know, we love ourselves more than Jesus. We don't want to put ourselves in any position that would make us feel awkward or you know otherwise uncomfortable. And so we just kind of scratch that part of the gospel out. Yeah, you know, that part I don't really want to do. I like this part. I like the forgiveness part. That's awesome. You know, that, that whole heaven thing, that sounds pretty good too. But this, this um, suffering and like, uh, you know, telling people about Jesus, you know, that, that's not me. You know, and we just kind of, we kind of, all of a sudden our gospel is quite, quite different than what's written in the Bible. And let's face it, uh, unless we constantly remember Jesus, we drift away from the truth. Unless we're constantly recalibrating ourselves to the gospel, we drift. We just do. That's just how we are. It's like a plane that's in the air that doesn't it, need, it doesn't, it needs to constantly course correct in order to get to its destination, okay? When you're driving, I don't know if you're aware, you're doing this a lot, you know? A little bit of this, a little bit of that, okay? That's correcting yourself to stay on the road in the stripes so you don't get hit or into an accident. That's what we need to do uh, as we remember Jesus. Course correct, realign, recalibrate because our hearts are going to pull us away, okay? Here are some examples of perhaps how we um, highlight certain parts of the gospel that we like and, and maybe some we don't, okay? Sundays are for God, you know, and the rest of the week is mine. You know, I do what I want. As long as I come on Sundays, I'm all good. Okay, another one might be, I'll give God my offerings uh, and my money, you know, I'm supposed to if you're a good Christian, but the rest of it is mine. <laughs> I'm going to buy and do and go, you know, wherever I want. Another one might be, I'll follow Jesus, but only until it costs me something. Then, then I'm on the sidelines, okay? I'll follow him to a certain point, but after that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll opt out, okay? Another might be, I won't tell others about Jesus because I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm not like so-and-so over there who's like always blabbing about Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm just not like that. And so we tell ourselves and convince ourselves that, I don't have to be that person. I don't have to tell people about Jesus. Right? Or, I only really turn to God when there are things that I can't handle. Okay? When life is too stressed out for me, that's when I'm like, God, help me. I'll do whatever you want. You know? I, just, I need your help here. And then after the, the crisis is over, we just kind of go back to business as usual. I'm, this, I'm in the driver's seat. I do what I want. And if that's your gospel, that's, that's a distortion. Okay? Or, instead of dealing with my sin, I know I'm, uh, I'm anxious, I'm always worried, I'm jealous of that person, I hate so-and-so, you know, I have lust issues, whatever it may be. Instead of actually dealing with that stuff, I'm just going to put on like an outward face when people see me, that everything's all good, and just kind of hope that nobody sees what's inside. Okay? I'm, I'm just going to do that veneer thing, that outward smile, Clean up your house when people come over so they don't think you're a slob, that kind of thing, okay? And so that's another distortion, okay? But the gospel is Jesus has conquered death. His perfect reign will be forever, okay? He is the king and I am his servant, okay? I'm not this optional. He's not my consultant for which I could say yes or no to, okay? He's my king. I am the slave. He's powerful, and I am in need, okay? 
His promises are sure. I can trust him. To be sure, this world is full of brokenness and injustice. Okay? It is not reflective of the eternal perfect reign of Christ that will come. It started. The reign of Christ has definitely started. Look at our lives. Look, look at what God has freed us from. You know, talk to each other. Ask them, how did you become? Why is Jesus important to you? And you'll hear the testimonies of God's kingdom being advanced in people's lives. But there will be one day when Christ returns that no matter if people are willing or not, his reign will be perfectly followed. He will be perfectly worshipped forever. Okay? Revelation 21, chapter 21. Here's a picture of that day. Okay? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. If you've ever thought a marriage was just too broken to continue on, if you've ever thought my relationship with my child, my friend, my family member was just too systematically messed up, then you need to hear these words in Revelation. On that one day, I am making all things new. That's who we serve. The one who has the power to do that in our lives and can give us a glimpse of that today. That's who we serve. So Paul says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Okay? I endure all this beatings, imprisonments, uh, no food, all that, for the sake of the elect. Okay? I, I'm not sure. Okay, so when I read that, I'm like, why elect? Well, you could have said, I endure all these things for the sake of the church. No, I endure all these things for the sake of the lost. Why this word elect? Okay? All right. This is not a uh, election versus uh, predestination versus uh, free will type message. Uh, there's way beyond the scope of what we're going to do here. But let me just kind of you know simplify it a little bit for us. Um, the elect are the people that God has chosen before the foundation of the world to be saved. Okay, so before the world was made, from eternity past, Jesus knew those were that were going to be His. And that's, that's what the Bible refers to as the elect. So an example of this is Ephesians chapter 1. Okay? Uh, it reads, He chose us. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Okay? So election is about God's choice of who to save. All right? On the other end of the argument is free will. Okay? No, it's not God that only, you know, saves us. It's people that decide. And, um, you know, so I've come to a place where I think both are true, okay? Um, it can be possible for God to be sovereign and choose those who he will save. And it's possible that we can choose God. And all that works out because God's awesome and mysterious, okay? I know that's not a very satisfying explanation of the whole thing, but I'm going to leave it at that. Um, there are two traps we can fall into when we think about election, and I want us to be aware of them. Okay? The first, that is, first is, we might say, if God is responsible for saving people, then I don't have to risk my life that they might hear the gospel. I don't have to suffer. And when we look at Paul, we know that that's not true, because though Paul knew his Bible, uh, he labored intensely to see Christ formed in people. Okay? It did not stop him from enduring much suffering 
to bring the gospel to people to, to love them. So you got that person in your life you're praying for. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. It's worth it, okay? Because God uses that, okay? His, Paul's confidence was that his sufferings would not be in vain, okay? Because God's salvation of the elect is certain. Okay, so if you know that you're, uh, if you're Paul and you're speaking to a crowd like this and you, you know that somewhere in here, let's say you guys are all, you know, uh, not believers here, uh, somewhere in this crowd are the elect. And I'm going to, I don't know who they are. God knows them. And I'm just going to speak the gospel and they're going to respond. And that's my job. I'm God's instrument to do that. Okay, so that gives Paul confidence that his work was not in vain. All right? The second trap that we could fall into uh, is if people have to be persuaded by the gospel, if someone actually has to go there and speak it to them, um, isn't it really up to people's individual choice then? I mean, why, 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 why bring this gospel out to people? Yet, Paul saw himself as an instrument of God. Okay? He's like, um, he saw himself as the instrument uh, to go out there, speak the gospel, go to places that the gospel's never been preached, talk to people about Jesus, build this church. Um, and, and he still did that, even though he had no idea who the elect were in the crowd that he was speaking to. Okay? Um, so what, what do we take away from this? Your prayers for people, your speaking and sharing your lo- the love of Christ to people, it matters. It all matters. Okay? It's not worthless. It's not superfluous. It's, God has made it so that what you and I do to tell people about Jesus is necessary. Okay? I, I don't know why he did it that way. We're not the best you know, reliable people, but he's done it that way. Okay? You and I are his chosen vehicle. The church is his chosen way to show the world uh, you know, his love. Right? Um, so Paul was a physical representation of the gospel in the absence of Christ. Okay? Jesus, at that time, was in heaven. His Holy Spirit came down, but he wasn't on the earth anymore. So who's going to go tell people about the gospel? It was you know, the Christians there. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings uh, for your sake. So he's talking to the, the Colossian church. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affection, uh, afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Okay, that sounds almost like borderline blasphemy. What do you mean, Paul? You're making up, uh, like Jesus' work wasn't good enough? What are, you, what are you talking about? He's not talking about the sufficiency of what Christ has done for his atonement for people. He's saying, Jesus isn't physically here to show these people the sufferings of Christ. That's what I'm for. Okay? That's what he's saying. Um, Paul was, it was the display of that suffering and that gospel. It was the delivery of it. And he's like a delivery man for the gospel. And so, when we trust and follow hard after Jesus in the midst of our sufferings, when we are trusting hard in God, even when life is falling apart and people see that, um, it shows the world <laughs> the value of Christ. Okay? If you are an athlete and you are wanting to win that tournament or whatever it is that you're, you're going to be in, and you are just like possessed in your training, and people are like, man, this guy is eating way different stuff, and he's training like a madman, and 
he must, and then when you get that prize, and like, I, I, I don't know why it's coming to my head, but when Jordan won his first uh, trophy, he was like weeping with that trophy, right? That's how bad he wanted it. And it's just a piece of metal, but to him it meant so much more, okay? And that's how the gospel is to us. For that treasure, we will endure all kinds of suffering, all kinds of hardship, loss, life not going our way, just to have that prize. It shows the world that Jesus is our treasure, not anything else. There can be no human explanation. When Job lost everything in the Old Testament, um, he was a rich guy, blessed by God. You know, then it got taken away. His health got taken away. His family was killed, taken away. And in the end, he says, you know, God, you're still God, you know, in my life. He had questions for sure. But that just showed when someone loses everything and they love God and it looks like they lost nothing, I mean, there's pain and sorrow in their life for sure. But when they are clinging to God still, that shows the world. It's not, it's not that God prospers Christians financially that they are saved. It's not that God gives easy lives to people that these people are, are worshiping Jesus. It's because something about Jesus is supremely valuable to them. And, you know, Jesus' stock in the eyes of non-believers just shoots up when we worship God in our pain, okay? Um, so why is suffering involved in the gospel? I mean, I was looking at this passage, and I'm like, it would be cool if there was a way not to suffer and have lots of people saved. You know, why not do it that way, Jesus? And I think one of the reasons is because the human spirit is corrupted by sin, Okay? Nobody likes to hear that they're wrong, okay? That they've got it wrong. You're wrong. Hey, the way you're doing it, living your life, it's not the right way that pleases God. Uh, There are people that don't want to hear that, okay? And they will respond in hostility. Uh, And so I, I don't know if that's the main reason, but that's one of the reasons, okay? On the one hand, we have this free gift, eternal life, um, something you could never do or earn by yourself, it's a free gift. We have this message, great, great message, right? And on the other hand, people have to admit that they're fallen, sinful, broken, and in need of God. Okay, and some, some people don't like that. We don't like that sometimes. God exposes our sin. We don't like that, okay? Um, it, it means that there will be people that don't think quite like us, okay, or don't agree with uh, the way Jesus has laid things out. And, and that'll be cause for them to be anti-Christian, anti-gospel. If you are speaking the truth about Jesus um, as being the only way to be right with God, you know, people are going to have to admit the fact that whatever they were living for at the time is, is wrong, is not going to get them saved. When, when Jesus exposed, like Dr. C was talking about it last week, okay? Pharisees, um, to everyone else, they seem pretty awesome, pretty, pretty holy, pretty religious, and Jesus just exposed their hypocrisy. It was all for show and to gain attention and to earn God's approval. What did the Pharisees do after Jesus sort of exposed them? They plotted to kill him. Okay? How dare you expose us and call us you know, whitewashed tombs? We're going to put you on the hit list. Jesus rose very quickly to the top of that list. Okay? Um, by shining the light of Christ in the lives of other people, um, people will want to shut you up. They don't want to see that light, okay? They will do whatever it takes to hurt you. They want to silence you. They'll make you feel uncomfortable. They'll tell you to shut up. 
maybe worse. You know, this, this kind of suffering is not far. It's not countries away. It's right in our backyard. Opposition to the gospel, okay? Look at what people did to Jesus, okay? He was killed uh, to the very nation and people that was God's promised people, okay? Paul endured much suffering. He was beheaded by the Romans because he would not stay silent. Christians in the most hostile places even today are being tortured and killed and imprisoned because this gospel is in their hearts, okay? The heart of man wants to dethrone God. The heart of man wants to take God's place, does not want to be told what to do, okay? So are you guys ready to live like Paul? Let's do it. Let's take those sufferings and punishments. No way, <laughs> okay? No way I'm ready. No way you're ready. No way anyone can get the uh, self-motivation and gumption to go through the life that Paul is describing, Unless you're standing on the rock-solid promises of God and he is strengthening you, you and I will fail. But if he is our treasure, the gospel will prevail. To be part of that is awesome, okay? The last part of the passage here has some, um, ends with some promises of reward and some um, warnings um, of lostness, okay? So in verses 11 to 12 in 2 Timothy chapter 2, It says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him, okay? So Jesus is alive. He's the Messiah. He's going to reign forever and ever. And if every day we die to ourselves and allow more of Jesus to live, and we've crucified the flesh so that he can live through us, then you are going to be raised to life, an everlasting life with him. And you'll reign with him. Did you guys know that we're going to be co-heirs with Christ? He's going to give us kingdoms and stuff. Did you guys know that? That's in the Bible. Um, I don't know. I mean, depending on our faithfulness, I might just be, you know, over a little hamlet, and you guys might be over, you know, vast nations. But that's what we have to look forward to, okay? So that's a promise of reward. I think when you're going through difficulty and you take yourself, a lot of times we're in the moment, okay? We're caught up emotionally in this thing right here, the stress of my life right here. But when we think about you know, Jesus, and then we're thinking about powerful, victorious, uh, unrestricted, free, reigning perfectly forever and ever. Uh, Then it kind of changes the mood a little bit, doesn't it? And I think, you know, as I try to apply this in my life, and hopefully as you guys try to apply this in your life too, that'll be the effect, okay? Um, Then in verses 12 and 13, there are some serious warnings of rejection, okay? And as the people of God, we need to hear these as well, all right? Um, Verses 12 and 13. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we begin the Christian life trusting in Jesus um, and saying, Jesus, you you and you only, okay? And at the end, somewhere in in the middle, we, we turn from Jesus and we go, no, money is what I'm living for. Uh, career, family, uh, or, or anything else. If our focus shifts from living for Jesus to something else, that's our denying of him. We're denying that Jesus is important, okay? Or the most penultimate importance. And we have denied him and he will reject us, okay? If we do not remain faithful to Jesus till the end, we will... Um, you know, he will 
reject us. He'll turn away from us, okay? Um, so some of you are thinking, Paul, that sounds a lot like, you know, I can't be sure if I'm saved or not. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> um, and it's God chooses those whom he saves. We cannot know who those people are until they die and are faithful, okay? So for you and I, we've got to pray hard for each other. You've got to pray for us, you know, up here, um, that our faith will not fail because, it, you know, look around you. you know, look at the people in our lives that started out passionate about Jesus and now are, we don't know where they are. It's happening all around us, okay? So if we persist in that to the end and deny him, he will, he will deny us, right? This part of the, the verse where it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, uh, for he cannot deny himself. I think a lot of people are, are uh, mistakenly interpreting this as, if I'm faithless, if I'm not faithful to God, God's still going to be faithful to me, and I'm still okay. That is not what this verse is saying, okay? It is saying, if we are faithless, he will be faithful to himself and his glory and will deny you. That's what it's saying, okay? Um, why do we know that? Because, you know, if we look at, if we deny him, he will deny us, okay? So deny him, he'll, he's going to deny us. Then we look at the very next verse. It says, if uh, we are faithless, then he remains faithful to himself, okay? It's not flipping it. It's like deny, deny, faithless, okay, faithful to myself to reject you. That's what it's saying, okay? Um, meaning if we cast God aside, we will be lost forever, okay? I, here, we can do great things in Jesus' name. We can show up to church on Sunday. We can be from a family that is a Christian, that's been a Christian for a long time. That is no guarantee, okay? Daily faithfulness and just rely on God that uh, until we die. That's, that's what it's all about, okay? Um, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. Um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the, ones, uh, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is Jesus talking. This warning is echoed in, uh, by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. It says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Okay? There are wonderful, rock-solid, guaranteed promises from God you know, for our salvation. If we die with him, we will live with him. Okay? If we endure this life, we will reign with him. We will. The person that's saying those promises is faithful and true and has the power to make them happen. Okay? There should be no insecurity about that. Okay? But there are equally devastating warnings from God. Okay? If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful to himself. He's not going to take someone that denies him. And so he's going he's to turn us away if, if we are faithless. Okay? 
Does God save us by grace, not based on our works, but on the work of Jesus? Yes, 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 okay? Yes, he saves us by grace. Yes. And that grace enables us to live hard for him in this life. Okay? Does that mean we can coast on his leniency and just show up to church and slide into heaven? No way. No way. Okay? That's what these verses are saying. Our perseverance, our persistence and passion for God matters to him. It matters. Okay? Um, Spreading the gospel, no matter what the obstacles come our way, it matters to him. Okay? I think a healthy thing for us to respond to this sort of warning is not freaking out about whether we're saved or not, but just asking God, Lord, just examine my heart. Am I... Am I deluding or distorting the gospel in a way that suits me? Or am I really living for you? Because I want to I wanna, I wanna reign with you. I want to be alive with you. I want to make it to the end. And it's this, what should emerge is a healthy dependence on him. Not a, I'm okay because I'm here at church. I'm okay because I'm not so bad as someone else. Okay? What should emerge is a, I need you. I know my heart. I can't stop this sin thing going on. I just can't. Help me. And when we engage with Jesus like that, you know, he persists, he helps us, we're changed, we can persevere to the end, okay? So the main thing that Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you have to constantly remember Jesus. You have to keep, keep on remembering, meditating, dwelling on Jesus, okay, in the course of carrying out the gospel. Don't avoid hardships. Don't avoid difficulties that come in life. I think you guys will all agree that hardships are part of life, okay? No matter how much uh, social media there is to distract us, no matter how many vacations we take, no matter what we buy, difficulty comes in our lives in one way, shape, or form or another. And if we are constantly pretending that those don't exist or sweeping them under the rug... That's not, that doesn't make sense, okay? God is telling us, engage with those things. Sometimes God's allowing those things in our lives so that we will go to him, okay? He's wielding those things so that we will depend on him and go to him, okay? So don't run from hardships, Timothy. Don't accept them. Jesus, who overcame death and will reign forever, has guaranteed our reward. Keep preaching the gospel. Let's pray. So, what is your version of the gospel? Is it one where you cling on to salvation by grace alone and you like that part, but you ignore carrying the cross daily? Is it a gospel that it's all about forgiveness and acceptance, but has nothing to do with suffering and struggle? Is it a gospel that does not ask of you to endure hardship and telling others about Jesus? As Paul was imparting to Timothy, his spiritual son, weak and timid, physically um, not healthy, you know, he wanted to impart the wisdom that he had gained from all these experiences in his life in advancing the gospel and to build a church. And he says, Timothy, the elect, those that belong to God are out there. And it will be with many sufferings, 
that we will reach them in order to share this surpassing hope we have in Christ. And in our little dyings every day, we are carrying the gospel. We reap the rewards of sharing Christ's victory and unending life. All the dying to ourself results in becoming alive to Christ. Think about it that way. Don't focus on the dying part, okay? Only. Focus on the Christ becoming alive in me part. And one day Jesus is going to return. And those that have been faithful will share in this perfect and everlasting rule. And those that have denied Jesus will be lost forever. And Paul, even after enduring so much suffering in his life to be an instrument of the gospel, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul saw that what God was producing for him in the future, this eternal weight of glory, this reward, this eternal perfect fellowship with Jesus, it blows away all of my sufferings All of those beatings, all that I had to go through, it's not worth anything compared to this glory that I'm going to experience. And I know for myself, I don't don't see that. I don't live that. That's not fueling me. But it needs to, and it needs to fuel us as well. Not the bigger and better things that we can buy, but the glory that we will share in the eternal rule by his side. No more tears, no more sadness. That will be our treasure and our reward, Christ forever. And if that is not enough to entice us and we turn to something else and those are the things we live for, God will reject us. But if we live for those things, though we temporarily may be chained and stopped, he will, the gospel will advance in us, through us, for the nations. Let's pray and spend some time before the Lord and then the worship team will come and lead us in a song of response.